There we are, that's great. Um, I, I'm really blessed today, not only to be here, but because you've given me such a marvelous topic. Um, I, I thought about it, I thought you could have asked me to talk about suffering and the problem of pain. And, uh, and, and then I'd have had to really work hard and grapple with that, or, or um, family problems and how to sort them out, or church issues and relationships. But you've given me this absolutely awesome topic of the greatness of God. Uh, and, uh, and so we're going to be able to focus. Uh, we've heard the um, reading from the book of Genesis, and that's probably the best place to start when we talk about the greatness of God, is to start at the beginning, because that's what Genesis means, at the beginning. Now, when we think about greatness, I thought, well, what, what, is, what is this uh, greatness business all about? Now, if I can just turn this on. There we are, hopefully we'll... What is greatness? What do we think about when we think about greatness? Do we think about great people? I hope everybody knows who that is. Mahatma Gandhi, great leader of India, led, uh, sought to lead India uh, against the British uh, to see uh, India gain its independence. Einstein, Albert Einstein, um, 2019 is the uh, 100th anniversary of the proving that Einstein's theory of relativity was correct. A great man, or a brilliant mind. Do we think of brilliant minds when we think of greatness? Nelson Mandela, another freedom fighter. Um, lived for, was it 26 years in uh, confinement on Robin Island, being oppressed physically and emotionally by those who, who were in charge, the whites of South Africa, uh, and yet seemed to come out without bitterness from that situation. A great man. Mother Teresa, often called Mother Teresa of Calcutta, left her convent with nine rupees in her pocket to go and serve the poorest of the poor and, of course, become a household name uh, in her lifetime as she um, sought to care for people who had absolutely nothing. Kate Shepherd. Um, does everybody know Kate Shepherd, the uh, New Zealand lady who in, uh, fought for, campaigned with other women in the 19th century for women to get the vote in New Zealand, who um, challenged male domination um, and, uh, and the abuse that a lot of women were facing because of male domination in New Zealand and New Zealand became the first country to give the vote to women in 1893. Great people. What do we think of um, emotions and qualities, moral qualities, love, burning love, 
powerful love, consuming love. Is that what we think of when we think of greatness? Now, you might not be able to see that one very well, but it's, uh, it, it, I thought it was rather cute um, that uh, this little girl um, raising her umbrella over the frog. I'm not sure why the frog would want to be protected from the rain, but um, anyway, she's been very kind to protect the frog. Um, or courage, leaping out into the unknown to achieve something. What is greatness? Now, when we think about God and think about living our lives, there's one thing I want to, to focus on before we before we, we get into the teaching, is to realize that as Christians, our understanding of God is what controls the way in which we behave. Now, if our God, in the, the, the way we think about God, is of an angry deity sitting on a cloud somewhere up there, waiting for us to commit sin and to punish us, then our behavior is likely to be, uh, we're likely to behave in fear and we're likely to treat other people with anger and to treat other people in, uh, in, in ways which, uh, which they would not enjoy, uh, with violence maybe. But if we are, our concept of God is of a loving God, a caring God, then we're going to approach God with joy and we're going to seek to share that love with other people. So it's very important to come to this, this position of beginning to understand who God is and what it means to talk about the greatness of God. So the God, is God just talking about great power? And is that it? And the power to come on, remember an old hymn we used to sing, uh, the, the chariots of wrath uh, in his, uh, on the thunder clouds form. And it was this picture of God coming across the sky in wrath and anger. And that's one of the pictures that I grew up with of God. Um, I rejected God as a child, uh, but that was one of the pictures that I had. Uh, and it controlled my view of God for a long time. Um, so what is our view of the greatness of God which is going to control our lives? And I want later on to see how these two things can be joined together. But what do we see of the greatness of God in the book of Genesis. Now the first aspect of, uh, before, we, before, sorry, before we go on to just into Genesis, I want to point out that the words that we have in Genesis 1 are very old words. Words that come, that were taken by the writers of Genesis and completely changed from where they came from. They actually came, uh, some of those words, from the people of Babylon. 
And you can see there on the screen of the Babylonian Empire, which existed in the 7th century and 6th centuries uh, BC in the Middle East. But before it became an empire, long before that, there were the people of Babylon. And they produced um, quite a lot of writing. And um, they produced a, what, what's often regarded as a creation myth. Um, and in the Babylonian creation myth, um, there's a competition between, um, between deities, between godlike creatures. Uh, uh, there's this character, Marduk, who's this, uh, who, who defeats the sea monster, Tiamat. And Tiamat is hurled into the abyss, and this is the beginning of creation. This is the beginning of, um, of, of the, the universe. Um, so that's a, that's a kind of background to, to this uh, story that we have in Genesis. But when we come to Genesis, we find that this has been completely transformed. We're no longer getting a battle between deities. We no longer have a story of a God amongst gods. The story that we have in Genesis is of the one God, the one supreme God. If you read in Genesis, as hard as you try, there is no other God. You can't find another one. There is the omnipotent, supreme God, creator God. We begin at the beginning. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. God did not, it doesn't say in the beginning, God uh, fought with the other gods in order to create the heavens and the earth. It's very simple. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And this is very important for us. Sometimes life is a struggle, isn't it? Would anybody say, I, I, I hope, I mean, somebody here may have a life, would you like to put up your hand if you have a life that has no struggle? Anybody? Oh, somebody's scratching their head there, is, is that right? You, you're, <laughs> you, you're what, you must be very, very lucky. You've got this life that has no struggle at all. I would say that everybody, and if we don't, if we don't have struggle, well, I just wonder, you know, it's, 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 you have a, well, you're very happy. I just think it must be marvelous, but I think that's normal, normal life. We have struggles. And we think about a power the power of God on the one side, and, and we're, we're on that side of that power of God and that power of goodness. On the other side, we think about the power of evil, the power of Satan. And how do we think about those two powers? Do we think about those powers being equal and opposites, 
to each other? Well, well, let's look back at Genesis and compare that to what we said about the Babylonian story. The Babylonian story had the god Marduk fighting to become superior to the sea monster Tiamat. But here in Genesis, there's nothing like that. There is just God. And later on in the story of Genesis, of course, Satan appears, a power of evil. But he's nothing like God. God's up here, existing from eternity, and Satan's a creature down here. The end of the story, forced to, to crawl in the earth of the ground, in the earth. So when we face problems, when we face those struggles, we're on the side of the great God of the universe who began before all things. We're, we're on as the side of a power who is altogether greater than the power of Satan. And we can live in that, um, in that power. Now the second thing to realize from uh, the book of Genesis here is that God is the creator of an ordered universe. It says here, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now the, the earth was formless and empty, and darkness was over the surface of the deep, and the Spirit of God hovered over the waters. It was formless and empty. But the story goes on to tell us in what detail and order God created the universe. That God didn't just create it and then leave it to sort of sort itself out. God put it all in place. Now that says something else to me about the way in which we can tackle our lives, that God is a God who wants to help us in the ordering of our lives. Now I want to tell you a, a little story. It's a very silly little story. Uh, it's very, you might say it's inconsequential. When you think about the creation of the world, Adam, really this story has nothing to do with that, but it's something that happened in my life very, very recently. Now, um, you have a very kind man here, um, in, in, in amongst you here, this guy, Tony. Um, he, uh, about 10 days ago, I had to move house. And somehow I managed to choose the worst day in, uh, in about three weeks for moving house. Wednesday of that week was beautiful sunshine. Friday of that week was beautiful sunshine. But I chose to move on Thursday. And it rained all day on Thursday. Well, Tony managed to find, he managed to get a truck and it rained to bring this truck round and we, uh, we moved, I moved house. And we put all the big stuff into this truck, all my big furniture, and we just managed to fit it in. 
and uh, it was like a big jigsaw puzzle and we put it in there and, and they set off for my new house. Well, I had to get in my car and drive off and follow them. And before I was going, I was, um, I thought, oh, where's my phone? Where's my phone? I need my phone. I couldn't find my phone anywhere. I mean, I'm, I'm, this happens to me about four times a day. Um, I couldn't find the phone. So, and I had the landline cut off, so I couldn't ring my phone to find out where it was. So, I thought, oh, well, I'll, I'll find it later, amongst all this chaos that was in my house. So, went off to the other house, we unloaded the stuff, eventually came back, packed a load of stuff up, and I thought, oh, yes, my phone, where's my phone? 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 And I looked and looked and looked, and I said, I couldn't find it. So, I thought to myself, I'll pray. Lord, help me to find my phone. And completely out of nowhere, the word windowsill came into my mind. It was really, really strange. And I was just by a windowsill, and maybe that's why, I don't know. Uh, and so I thought, oh look, it's not good. I never put it on the windowsill. So I looked on the windowsill, no phone, okay? And then I thought, well, I'll have a look, have a look in the bedroom, uh, in my bedroom. And I went into my bedroom, and just as I went in, again, the word windowsill popped into my mind. And I looked behind the curtain, it was dark by then, and there was my phone. Now, you may say that's a silly little example, but I believe that God is intimately concerned with the things, the little things that happen in our lives to create order out of chaos. And it's his continuing work of creation of forming order out of chaos. So it goes back to, this, to what we have in Genesis. And we can, we, can, um, we can live out of this story in the realities of moving house. And, and I hate moving house. It's, the most, it's one of the most horrible experiences of life, I think. Um, but why should we say that God wants to be involved with our lives? Why? So far, we haven't got that from Genesis. Genesis talks about creator. It seems to be that God's way out there as creator. Why should I say this morning that God wants to be involved with our lives? Well, the thing is that I think that God is relational. And I think I've used that word already. And the reason I can say that, and if you want to talk about this to somebody who says, well, God's, God's irrelevant to my life, you can point them to this, these words that we, um, we read from Genesis chapter, uh, chapter 1 and verse 26. And then God said, let us make man in our image. In our likeness, let them rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air and over the livestock, and it goes on. But let us make God, make man in our image. Let us make humanity so that we, and we'll come back to the we in a minute, so that we can communicate with him and her. So we can have a relationship that we'll create this man and this woman 
with a spirit. Different to the rest of creation, but that we can relate. And we can live in a relationship with, with we can communicate with this, this humanity that we've created. Now let's go back to those words again. Let us make man in our image. And this is where it's so important to go back to Scripture and, and analyze what's going on. What, what on earth did the writer mean by saying, let us make man in our image? The Hebrews worship the one God. God is one. As it says in the Ten Commandments, God is one. And that was the big thing for the Hebrew people, that they, was, they weren't worshipping a, a number of gods. They were worshipping the one true God. And of course, they've seen that at the beginning of Genesis. So why does it say, let us make man in our image? Curious. Very curious. And then at the beginning of Genesis, what we've read already, that the Spirit of God hovered over the waters. Who's this Spirit of God? Now, I believe the, the, the writer of Genesis uh, had maybe didn't really know what they were, what, what kind of seeds of faith they were putting in there. But if we were to go on in the Old Testament... We, every so often we come across this, this figure called wisdom. And if you were later on to look up uh, the book of Proverbs in chapter 8, uh, we've got the, this figure of wisdom uh, who existed before creation. And this is often thought to be a, a figure of the Spirit of God. And so there's this question. And it's not until we come to the New Testament and the Gospel of John that we find this question receives an answer. In that, in the beginning was the Word. And the Word was with God. And the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. And there was nothing that was made that was made without Him. The Son, the Word of God, was there with God in the beginning. And so what we see if we, uh, in these, these words of Genesis, uh, and if we connect that with the New Testament, is that we see that this God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, uh, and this is quite incredible, and a lot of people don't say, well, this can't be. I can't understand this. Therefore, we can't, we can't believe this. But it seems to me that what we've got in the Old Testament, and that's revealed even stronger in the New Testament, is that God is within himself relational. That he has this, within his very being, the pattern 
of human relations that, that are created through his, through his creation, the relationships that we live in. And we see in the relationship of Jesus with his father, the, the loving relationship. The father loved the son. And at, at Jesus' baptism, we got those words, this is my son. This is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. And the son living in, in a, um, a humble and um, obedient relationship to his father. And the Holy Spirit coming and continuing to speak the words of God, the words of Jesus, into our lives. This is a pattern for our relationships as we seek to live loving and caring relationships with each other, as we seek to do things to each other that make, that make each other feel loved, that we don't anger each other intentionally, that when, 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 when your partner says, um, oh, oh, I'd like a cup of tea. Could you make me a cup of tea in bed? You don't say, oh, you say, oh, I don't really want to get a cup of tea, and you go to the kitchen grumpily, and you think, oh, I think she should have a cup of coffee. Um, and so you, you take back a cup of coffee. This will get you going. Um, better than a cup of tea. Uh, so, you know, we, we don't live, we're not intended to live like that. We're intending to live in loving relationships, and this is patterned for us in the very nature of God. But let's take this a little bit further. What, let's ask a question. What is the nature of this relationship? And I want us to uh, go to the second reading that I was um, given to read to you. To, uh, to preach from, and it's in 1 Peter, if you have your Bibles, uh, 1 Peter, and um, chapter 1, I can find it, 1 Peter chapter 1, and verse, uh, verses 20 and 21. Talking about Jesus, he was chosen before the creation of the world, but was revealed to the, in these last times for your sake. Through him you believe in God, who raised him from the dead and glorified him, and so your faith and your hope are in God. This son that we've, uh, we've talked about, chosen from the beginning of the world, if we seem to be booming away there. Uh, thank you. Um, we see the, the father giving his son. And of course, there are other, other scriptures we could go to. But here we see that the son, chosen from before the beginning of the world, before creation, to come into the world, to be the embodiment of God's love, 
God's self-giving love. Now, we've, we've already seen how God created us to have a relationship with us. Now, that relationship, as we see in, if we read it further in Genesis, didn't work out very well. Adam and Eve, humankind, walked away from that relationship. Now, God could have said, okay, well, okay, well, I'll go off and try somewhere else. I'll try and have a relationship with someone else instead of a relationship with humanity. But he didn't. He loved us so much that he sent his son, his very self, into the world so that we can have life in him. His greatness, and this is the core, this is the epitome of the greatness of God. We've got his power, his creation creating power. We've got him making humanity. We've got this self, this relational God, this powerful relationship within the Godhead. But the core of the greatness of God, the glory of God, is his self-giving love. Now, a few years ago, my wife and I were in India, and uh, my wife was uh, Indian, uh, born in New Zealand, from a Gujarati family from the west of India. And uh, through some of her friends, she'd become uh, involved with, or uh, we both got to know uh, some people from a, a church, from a group of churches in Gujarat, uh, about 150,000 people in this group of churches. Um, and we went out to visit India about three or four years ago. And we went, we were invited by the leader of these churches to go and visit some of these churches in, the, in rural India. And we drove off into the night and down, and we, we, we went to one of these churches where there was about 30 people, about eight o'clock at night, waiting for us to, uh, to emerge out of the darkness and uh, arrive at, at them. And we, and we, Lalita shared her testimony and I, I preached a little bit about the love of God. And we prayed for them, for some people who came forward for prayer, and, uh, and we went away. We, we slept there that night and we went on somewhere else the next day. And all the next day, this voice was in my head said, how dare you tell these people God loves them? It was really strange. And I think it was, it was Satan, it was the devil, trying to stop me from saying these things. You see, the, he was saying, I kept getting this idea, well, you know, I don't know the lives of these people. I, I don't live in India. How can I say that God loves the people of India? Um, but I, we, were, we were due to speak at another church, a bigger church, the next night. Uh, and throughout the day, I had these, these words coming to me. But at the same time, I had another, other scriptures coming to me about the love of God. Not that God, that this, is, this is love. Not that we love God, but that God loved us and sent his son 
to die for us. That, those were the scriptures, that was the scripture that was coming to me. And yet this other, other words were coming. And so we were in this church. We were up at the front on a, on a stage and there, were about, there was Lolita and I and about six or eight other people sitting on the stage and we were worshiping and there was a band. And I just felt the need to kneel down. And I knelt down at the front of this, this, this church and I just prayed. And as I knelt down and prayed, this picture came to me. Picture of a lamb. And through this lamb, there was something like a spear. And this lamb was on a throne. And it was raised up and there were steps high leading up to this throne. And as I saw this picture, the words came to me, this is why you can tell these people God loves them. God loves us because he gave his son. He gave everything. And nothing can divide us from the love of God. Because God gave himself. God gave his son for us. And so, because of that fact, and this is the final point I want to make, God has conquered death. 1 Peter uh, 1.21 Through him you believe in God who raised him from death. There is nothing, nothing that can stand in the way of God's greatness. We all face death. Not nice to think about it, is it? None of us wants to think about dying, but it will happen. There's the old adage, isn't there, you know, that we'll all face uh, death and taxes. Well, we try and avoid taxes as much as we can, though we know they're good for us, in this society anyway. Um, but we can't avoid death. But God has conquered death. The greatness of God. God made everything. God is over everything. And God will take us into eternity with him. To live in his love. To live completely surrounded by his love. And so we can just take these words away with us today. For I, uh, from Romans chapter 8. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. So when we think of God, let's think about, let's just reflect. Let's let that, this vision of God sink upon our, into our spirits the supreme God, creator of an ordered universe. 
wanting to live in relationship with us because he is, by his essence, relationship. And that that, at the core of that relationship, is love. And God's definition of love isn't just, oh, I like you a bit, I look after you a bit when you're nice to me. It's, I will give myself for you so that you can live with me forever in eternity. Let's just take those words away. Take that vision away and live out of that in our lives to the glory of Jesus, our God. Amen.